Welcome to A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. Here's your host, Hans Christian Wittinghus. Today's podcast will give you the inspiring story of how being hit by alopecia affected Toby Penty both on and off court and how he dealt with it to now be at a better place than ever before for him. We also dig into the reason behind his quite odd final statistics on international level where he started off being 0 for 6 before winning the next five finals in a row. Finally, we chat about why he's not full-time on the National Center in England, his build-up to Tokyo, and also English men's singles in general. But before getting into all of that, I want to welcome and thank my newest patron, Vicky. Thanks so much for your support, Vicky. You and the 51 other patrons are really helping this podcast grow and keep it going as well. So patreon.com slash if anyone else out there also wants to show this podcast just a little bit of monthly love. Now, let's move on to the show. Today's guest is the current England number one men's singles player, a winner of five international titles with the Grand Prix event of Scottish Open being the biggest. He holds a world rank of 56, but has been as high as 43 back in November 2018. He plays a pretty aggressive game, and from personal experience, I can tell you that his net game is pretty damn tight. He's 28 years old and he's soon to be an Olympian and he will contest as he will contest his first Olympic Games in Tokyo in less than three weeks from now. Toby Penty, a warm welcome to a year and two with Bidding Hoops. Thank you for having me. And a very nice introduction as well. One of the yeah. best I've had. <laughs> that's good to hear. That's good to hear. And how does it sound soon to be an Olympian? It feels it feels a lot more real than it did like a few months back like I feel for me compared to maybe others like I've known for a while this was maybe on the horizon but it's starting to feel a lot more real now because it's got a lot closer and obviously with it being put off for a year there was always a lot of umming and ahhing was it going to happen was it not going to happen so to finally be at that stage and yeah to to have got to this stage play at the play at the big one so to say is a uh, yeah it's a really nice feeling to, to get there because it's it's been a bit of a choppy road to get there so to say yeah, I imagine. I, like, I'm really excited to go, and I'm only going to be a commentator, so I can only imagine what you guys that are actually <laughs> going to go on court yeah. would feel like. <laughs> but yeah, we will, we will go a lot more into your preparations for Tokyo uh, later in uh, in the podcast. But before we start talking about badminton, there's there's one thing I really want to discuss with you, uh, and it's it's not the men's double selection that I've been asked about so much. It is, in fact, what's going to go down on Wednesday. We are recording this uh, episode on a Monday evening, but on Wednesday, there's a huge, huge football match going on. England versus Denmark uh, on Wembley at the semi-final of the European Championships. What is your take on that match? Is it is is football coming home or is Denmark going to play <laughs> you guys? We've, we've been talking a lot about football coming home for the last couple of years. Like I think every <laughs> other country like purely hated us in uh, 2018 uh, for the one in Russia, but... It's weird because it feels like the stars have aligned for England to get to the final with it being at Wembley and stuff. But then obviously the stuff the Danish team have been through, it it feels like they're on their own journey. And I'd say over here, I, I don't know how it looks in Denmark over here. It's, I'd say, 70-30 in favour of people thinking England will get to the final. I think most people think we're going to get to the final, then lose. I think that's kind of the English mentality thing. But I also think having watched Denmark play, like they're a bit of a... It feels very similar to the when we played Croatia at the last World Cup, that they're a bit of a... We think we've got the beating of them, but I wouldn't be... I don't think a lot of us would be surprised if if they, they sprung something quite big on us because the way the Danish team are, are going the last few matches, they, the momentum is there for them as well. So, yeah, I don't know how it looks in Denmark, but in England, I think we, we feel quietly confident um, forget the coming home stuff. I know, I think that's, you know, we're not as confident as maybe sometimes we make out, but yeah. No, it's also a bit of banter, right? But I, I think it, it's not far off how, how we feel in Denmark. I, like, I think most Danes believe we have a chance, but I think everyone sees England as the, as the favourite. But yeah, everything can happen in a football match. I think mm-hmm. 
what, what scares us a little bit is the fact that you still haven't let in any goals at all. Uh, and that, that, that's, that looks pretty scary for us. But fortunately, we've been quite good in, uh, in attacking this, uh, in this championships, with it, which is quite unusual for Denmark, actually. Yeah, I, think, I think it's kind of switched a little bit because in England, the way the fans perceive it is they, they want to play. If you look at some of the attacking options we've got, they want to see us like go for it. But Gareth Southgate is... He's he's got his style, like especially the Germany match, like the anger about the team he put out defensively. There was so much anger. Like if he if he hadn't have won that match, it would have been pandemonium over here for his head. <laughs> so, but I think beating Germany and then the way we beat the lot, like there's a lot more faith and trust in him now. But but yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be tight. I think in a semi final, it's going to it's going to be tight. Yeah, well, it's definitely going to be extremely exciting to watch it. Even if we are badminton nerds, then uh, we can uh, we can enjoy <laughs> that one for sure. Well, we are not going to talk uh, all football. Uh, I will uh, I will move on to uh, to the first topic I have uh, for you today. And uh, so, from a bit of a more kind of lighthearted talk, we're going into a quite uh, serious topic. Um, I said in the intro that you reached your highest ranking in November 2018. But if my, uh, yeah, if my research is correct, I think it was at that time you did it. Uh, and that's also the time where you actually discovered your, the first signs of your alopecia, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so to those who don't know what alopecia is, it's, it's a condition where you get like bald patches and of, uh, yeah, of where you're missing hair. And in your case, you have like the most severe condition, right? That is called the uh, alopecia universalis, where you you are now at the point where you, where you lost all of your hair on your body, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's even eyelashes and eyebrows and yeah, even yeah, so every single hair. Yeah. So start started uh, like you said in November 2018. It was the first time I I remember hearing about it was I I just got my hair cut before going to the the Hong Kong Open. Because I thought I need a bit shorter. It's quite hot out there. Mm-hmm. Don't want it too long. And I remember my mum just just mentioning like, "Oh, you've you've got this little patch missing." And and I thought I've just gone to a dodgy hairdresser. Like like <laughs> maybe they've just skipped a little bit. But then it was so like perfectly round that it it, it and that's when my mum mentioned alopecia. Oh, you might have some light alopecia. And I kind of didn't really think anything of it. And then, yeah, like the months after that, uh, mostly through kind of December, January, February, those patches got bigger, uh, but started at the back of my head, then went to the side and then started going for little bits in the middle. And it just rapidly got quicker and quicker from there in terms of the amount that was coming out. And it was, it was becoming more noticeable when I had a shower, uh, kind of drying my hair after, after I trained and had a shower and stuff, it was, the only way I can describe it is if you rub a rub a dog and you see a, and you see the hair come onto your hand. That that's kind of the only way I could kind of describe it. If I looked at a towel afterwards, so it, it was very how, how, surreal. How fast was that? Like uh, you you discovered right before going to the Hong Kong Open? Did you already start at the Hong Kong Open then to lose like bigger patches, or did it take a little longer? No, it took a little longer. So it took it took another sort of month or two, kind of December and January sorry December January March time it started it, it just got quicker and quicker it started quite slowly and like I said it it felt like it was just lots of little patches but then those patches got bigger and then once those patches got big another patch would start and that would get bigger so it was it was a quite a looking back it, it felt quick but it was quite a slow burn at the time um and yeah I think it got till it was April time, end of April 2019 that I decided to to cut it off. I was like, I can't, I can't. The the comb over was getting shorter and shorter, and I was just like, I can't. There's only so far I can go. This is, you know, I don't feel great. Like obviously, I wasn't feeling great about it at the time. Like this is only going to get worse unless I kind of try and face it a little more head on. Mm. Uh, how long did it, did it take before you lost the final here? In terms of everywhere or just on my head? Yeah, everywhere. everywhere. Uh, I would say about 10 months after, I would say. So about around about August 2019, uh, it was maybe like my eyebrows or my eyelashes or maybe even like the, the little hairs that you get on your, your fingers and stuff like that. Yeah, all right. Yeah, and 
obviously it's uh the, the reason why i think it, it's quite interesting to to discuss this topic with you is because i'm i don't doubt that it, it has a pretty huge effect not only on your personal life but also on your badminton because mm. i'm imagining if, if i lost all of my hair that it would put me into some sort of uh, even some sort of identity crisis in, in some ways did, did you feel that too or how, how did you deal with it mentally I definitely that like it was it was difficult because you'd kind of look in a mirror a lot and you, it, it was constantly changing. I would say in the short term, like around that 2019 time uh, leading up, I dealt with it okay because I kind of Bamington felt like a little escapism from from what was going on. I could kind of focus on that and I think when it was changing, when when my look was changing and stuff like that, I. As it was changing, it wasn't having as much effect. It was only when it fully hit me that this is where I'm at and this this is how I'm going to look like moving forward. There's with with the type of alopecia I have as well, it's the least likely you'll get your hair back that it will come back. That was that was when it hit me. So around August time, 2019, that's when it hit me when I was like, oh okay, this is this is it now. Like this is this is how you're going to look for the rest of your life in in one way or another in terms of you know obviously aging it will change a bit but it, this this is in this is how you're going to look so that's that's when it hit me a lot more i think during the process i, I don't think i dealt with it too bad compared to how i could have I, there was a, there was a lot of anger a lot of frustration but i was i was dealing with it okay it was it was that time when i had that epiphany that it was like okay this is this is here now for a while and i I don't understand why it's happened. And I think that was also the other difficult part is that there, it, there is no reason. I can't give you a, a definite reason as to why it happened. And that, mm. that at the time back then was, was the trick. Those were the two trickiest things to come to terms with. So it's not like, you know, that it's stress related or anything that that would be like my first thought that, that you lose it because of a, yeah, a high level of stress or something like that. Yes. So, so from what I've read, it was, was that is one of the common factors, but, it can be something as simple as having a common cold and your body reacting to it and thinking it's something different. Uh, there's a lot in terms of your immune system working. It's they're not, they, they haven't got a solid concrete reason as to why it happens, why your body kind of tricks itself into thinking there's something wrong with the hair follicles. So if I look back, I'd say I had a bit on my plate. I wouldn't say I was like massively stressed. I think at, at the time I was dealing with a bit of a back problem was getting worse as well, which, for people who I've known who have had bad backs as well, it, sometimes those are a bit mental as well, especially back injuries. But Because it, it's the sort of injury where no matter what you do, you, you're still hurting, right? It, it you limits it. you in, in so many ways, no matter what. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know if there was a little bit of that to do with it or that kind of played hand in hand with it. But at the same time, like the year and a half before was probably like, the 18 months before this had started was like some of the most enjoyable times I was having playing badminton and just in life. So for me, it didn't really add up that it was just stress related. I just, I put it down to just being one of those things that I'll never truly understand why it happened. And, and you know, that's, that's okay. That is how it is. Do you feel like it's uh, cause like, I think it, it looked to be more than a coincidence that, it's the same time you reach your highest ranking and then it started going downwards a little bit again. That, that happens at the same time as, as this uh, mm. condition starts. Do you feel like it, it has some co correlation, like, it's, uh, like it affected your, your confidence on court as well? Or, or is it more yeah. of a like, coincidence that, that uh, your results dropped a little bit afterwards? I think it was a bit of both. Like, I think I was probably there was a little dip because I've been doing, I felt like I've been doing so well for the 18 months before in terms of how things have been going just before that and that 18 months after. Um, but I also think in terms of like belief in myself as a person, like I, away from badminton, like I, I didn't want to do too much. Like I had my hood up constantly. I like, I couldn't, I was struggling to like make direct eye contact with people. Like, mm -hmm. And things like that is then when you go on court and you're feeling like that on the, on the, you know, daily, you know, it's, it's hard to have that belief that you're going to get over the finish line at times. I think when I look back and that I've had times like that in my career anyway, where for me, like getting part, get it. Like when it's, when it's got tight in matches, like 
getting over the line has been a bit of a difficulty and that probably escalated more when when this was happening especially as i said after that sort of august time 2019 i, I felt that a lot more i was going to tournaments i could i could play well for a bit and then it would it like i just panic there'd be so much panic and i i think that was more from what was going on off the court than mm. than, than my badminton because you were like were you worried what people were was thinking when they saw you or yeah yeah i mean i i hated playing in front of crowds yeah. like i just i just wanted to play in a training venue where it was just me maybe my coach and a few other players and people i knew like i didn't want to be in i didn't want to be playing in front of people hmm. i remember the first time uh was the sudaman sudaman cup 2019 i played we played in indonesia i played uh ginting hmm. uh <laughs> that's and, already a bit of a challenge to play him. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. You're playing like the fastest guy on tour. And then like, I'm looking up at the screen and they had like, you know, the green screens and they take like a picture of your face and they show it before you come on. I just remember looking at myself and just being like, oh, don't like that. Don't like that. And I was like, I had, I would just had this feeling of panic. Like it wasn't a panic attack, but I just felt, I felt frozen. And obviously when you're playing like the fastest guy on the tour and you feel like that, it's, it's an issue. So it, I just, you know, it's just taken some time to deal with, but playing in front of crowds and that, that's, that's been a big one to get over and feeling comfortable and just not thinking about the external factors. Like I've, I found that difficult, but it, it's just the process of it. I understood as it went on, it was just going to take time and whether I'd get back to that place of feeling fully, fully comfortable or not, you don't know, but you, if you, I just kept trying, I've, I've kept trying to get to that place and I, I feel like I'm doing a good job of slowly getting there. Do you still sometimes, if you like, if you go to new environments, meeting new people, do you still have that in your back of your mind, what they think or have you, are you past not, that? Not, Actually, I feel like I'm past that. Like yeah. it's it's taken a long time, but I f I feel like I'm past that. I don't I don't go out to places now, and and I don't feel I don't feel like people are looking at me. And if I feel like people are looking at me, it's, I just justify it that I'm probably looking at them. So yeah, yeah. You no, know, uh, it's I, I feel I feel okay about it. So, but yeah. that's great. It, to hear. It, you just you know, one of the, I got a few pieces of advice from uh, I did a. I did a piece with a video piece of Bands England with a with a cyclist, a GB track cyclist who, who'd won a few, a couple of Olympic gold medals, and and she, actually from around the same area back in London. And uh, she she gave me a few pieces of advice, and it's like if you show that confidence in a room, like you've got to think of yourself as a mirror. If you if you show that confidence and you don't show that like you're kind of scaring away, then then people feel comfortable around you. You know, sometimes people feel more uncomfortable around you when you look uncomfortable. Sometimes you've you've got to show that look, and and it works both ways. So that was that was one piece of advice that 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 helps a lot. Mm, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm also a little curious because I read a uh, a really nice interview you did with the BBC, uh, and you you said that the pandemic was actually some sort of blessing in disguise for you because it gave you a chance to to work more on yourself can you elaborate a bit on, on what you mean with that yeah i mean when when the alopecia stuff was happening that was around the time when it was really like full flow uh obviously raj raj had told me he was stopping and you know olympic qualifying was coming up and obviously that put another kind of stress on me that i was like oh, okay this is this is a big chance for me and and you know as you know competing in like olympic qualifying years is is pretty full on like you want to make sure you you do what you need to do or you give yourself the best chance of going and it just felt very full on and i felt like i because of that i never had some space just to give myself some time to reflect on on what had happened um and and the pandemic and just having a bit like having a lot more time at home like with the lockdowns in england and stuff it, and also just you know I, i spoke i did a few different articles with a few different people and i i i started to feel more comfortable talking about it and that that was a big thing for me because before like 
for most of that time in 2019. Like you mentioned the word alopecia to me. I just, I just wanted to be a million miles away from that word. I just don't just, just block it out. Just don't want to think about it. But when, when I started talking about it more to, to not just to people who I'm close with, but to, you know, people who don't know me that well on podcasts or in interviews and stuff like that. And just in general, um, it just gave me a lot more peace of mind and made me reflect and think about it a lot more and think about where I started and where I was at that point and where I could end up getting to. Um, so yeah, obviously I, I, feel, I feel a little bit of guilt that it took a global pandemic for me to feel like I needed to get to that, to, to get that time I needed. But at the same time, it, it was, it was a blessing in disguise for me. Mm, yeah, and it's just about getting the most out of any situation, right? And uh, I don't think yeah. anyone is blaming you yeah. for the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I hope not, at least. <laughs> I also seem to recall that you, in one of your most recent posts on social media, you said that it has actually made you stronger. And with with how you you're explaining things now, it actually sounds to me like you are more confident and uh, you're more uh, in peace with yourself now than you than you were even before you got the alopecia is that correct yeah I, I just feel a lot more well-rounded like before that time and you know i spent i spent a long period in milton Keynes from like the age of 19 to 25 and i didn't experience much if i'm being totally honest like i experienced a lot of badminton i experienced going around the world i experienced training at an elite level but i don't really feel i experienced much else in life mm. and like something like this happening and having to come to terms with it and having to be more aware of your emotions and where you're at. And, and it also look, you, it helped me look at what other people go through more and, and, and understand that and like have a bit more, you know, have that empathy for what other people are going through and realizing how to deal with different situations and, you know, just deal with life more than just, you know, just about badminton, which, which, probably felt like what the majority of my time was spent doing before it made me have to focus on some other things and deal with some other issues and yeah ultimately i just i just feel like i'm a lot more well-rounded for that and i like you said i feel i have times like i think there's always gonna be times now where i have some down moments about it i i understand that's that's going to happen but on the whole like i know how to control those now i know that they're going to happen but I also feel a lot more content with where I am. I feel a lot more well-rounded as a person. And I understand now that's that's just as important to me as what I do on a badminton court. That's, that sounds good and uh, sounds really reasonable. Um, I will uh, I will change gears a little bit now, Toby. I, uh, I think you, you explained it pretty much in detail. And I think even explaining it so well, I think it's difficult for people to really understand how it will affect you. Because, uh, yeah, it, it's just... it's. It must be so much to deal with, but I think uh, it really sounds like you've been going through a, a healthy process. And uh, yeah, it's not that I know you really well or we are close friends in any way, but uh, just on a personal note, I, I want to say that I think it's really inspiring to see where you're at now. Uh, and even without knowing you really well, I'm actually very proud of uh, yeah of seeing how well you're doing now. So uh, yeah, I wanted to let you know that. Thank you very much. Uh, we will move on and talk uh, more about some of your great successes, even though dealing with alopecia, you did it in a way we can also call it a success. Uh, I want to chat with you about getting past that uh, finish line. You, you spoke about it a little bit before that you have had trouble in the past closing close matches, but uh, I think it also it's clear to see with the way that your results has been in finals of international events that it has been a bit of an issue for you. In the first six international finals you made from 2012 to early 2017, you lost all of them uh, before you finally broke that uh, bad stint in, uh, at the Swedish international, uh, actually the week after you just lost in Estonia. Um, and after that point, you actually won five finals on the truck. So just, just try to explain how, how is that even possible, losing six in a row and you can't get past that and then finally you you get past it and you you seem unbeatable in finals what what's going on there i think i kind of broke it down into a couple of things with the, with the ones i lost like especially the first so i remember i was quite young 
I think it was it was directly after the London Olympics, I think, at 2012. And I remember the first I remember the first one when I played Kieran Merrilies. Hmm. And like he he killed me. I think it was the Polish Open final and he he killed me. And uh but I, I just remember those first two because I think I think I made the final in Switzerland a few months after that, a really close match against Dieter Domker. And I, I just remember think I just remember at the time thinking, I'm only young. Like it's only a matter of time before I win one of these. But then mm-hmm. it starts to build up. And I don't think so much in those two, but the ones I played after, I played I played the occasion so much more than the match. And that that was the that was the biggest hurdle that stopped me from winning was that I didn't just play the badminton match, I played the occasion, I played the final, I played the this this is it, this is my moment. And that overloaded too much and and it, it was it just always seemed a bit too much um and i think i think the one before the week in sweden i think i, I would the, the process was a lot better i think i had two match points which might might not might not sound like it was because i had two match points but i felt like i was on the right track with that one the ones before i felt like like i said i was playing the occasion far too much and I wasn't just concentrating on what I needed to do on the court to, to, to play my best. Mm. Um, I actually I remember, I, I know it sounds crazy, but uh, I actually remember that you tweeted something after the uh, Estonian international loss. Uh, I am a huge nerd, so I follow all the results uh, at every tournament. Uh, and I, I, I don't remember the exact wording of your tweet, but you did say exactly something about that you felt you were still on the right track and you were certain that the, the big win would come at the, some point if you just kept on uh, going and and worked the way that you needed to. And then, yeah, it happened already one week later. Uh, like yeah. how, how, how much of a relief was that for you? Yeah. Like you said, it was more, it was more relief than anything. Like it, it wasn't, you know, there, there weren't loads of people watching that day or anything like that. But I, I remember watching about the celebration and it looked more just like, thank God I finally won. It was, <laughs> it was, yeah, there was, there was nothing like, that celebrator about it it was just like thank god i've won and it was it was weird because it was you know i'd had a few the finals before like i'd had some where i'd got beaten comfortably i'd had some which were either 21 19 in the third or i'd had a couple of match points in this one was like i think i won like 12 and 12 or it was very very comfortable so i remember getting to 19 or 20 going right this like this should be okay now. <laughs> like you're gonna have to do something pretty mad to mess this one up so that was quite if you're going to win a final for the first time, it was nice that I, I at least I felt like a few points before I could kind of take it in a little bit because I could see that the Indonesian guy I played across, he was, he, he was done. He was, he didn't want to play anymore. He was, he'd had a really tough match against Rasmus Gempke the round before. And I was like this, I was like, at that point I was like, he's, he's just not, he's, he's had enough now. And at that point I was like, oh, okay, I've got this. And yeah, like you said, it was, it was just pure relief. Um, yeah. The, the funny thing is, though, is uh, so that day, I think it was it was like the last day in January. So like that was like the big high for me because obviously I'd lost six before. Mm. I felt this day was going to come so much earlier than it eventually did. Next day, I get pull, called into a meeting. This is in 2017 after the, and this is when the funding cut is happening. So I go from the biggest high. I come into, I'm the first one in a meeting at 9 a.m. I lose my funding the next morning at 9 a.m. Yes. And I'm just like, go from the biggest high to like I uh, like the biggest rock bottom and you're just like you're not giving me 24 hours <laughs> you're not just giving me 24 hours to enjoy that like that's just ah uh, that, so that so as, as great man. as it was as great as it was like there's still a little bit where it's like I really didn't get to enjoy that win quite as much for as quite as long as I would have liked to but like you said, it led to it led to great things in terms of how my my finals went after that. So yeah, all good on that on that regard. Yeah, yeah you went on to win the Kharkiv International, Scottish Open, Slovenia, and Belgian International, uh, mm. and that's all in a quite short span uh, of time, right? Yeah, that was yeah just just over a year. Yeah, did, did you feel any difference when you went into those finals? Uh, maybe the first one afterwards. Did you feel like a, a difference in terms of your confidence, or was it uh, not, not not really uh, different in in any way? It felt like I probably wasn't building up as much. I felt like I was just playing the match a lot more. Like it felt like once I got that first one, 
that it was that had caused such a kind of talk in my head that once that had gone, I didn't need to I didn't need to think about finals or whether I was going to win, whether I was going to lose. I, I could just play that match a lot more and a lot more clearly. I felt. Um, so yeah, that, that that was the only that was the one major big difference in all those in all those finals, and uh, I think for a few of them as well, I didn't I can't remember how many exactly I didn't have a coach behind my court for some of them, and I think actually sometimes in that environment where I just went about my business by myself, it, it helped me a lot more just to concentrate and know what I had to do. Uh, mm. I think that one in Ukraine definitely. I think there was like two, two English guys. I think it was me and Sam Parsons were like. Two English guys staying in a twenty euro a night hotel in Kharkiv with like <laughs> the most questionable breakfast you've ever seen, and uh, so that's yeah, the, the so, camera of uh, the European yeah, the tour, team. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just I, I just remember tournaments like that. I was just going through the motions, and I was just I was just playing, and uh, and that yeah that that feeling in, in a final, it just it just felt a lot more like I was just playing the match. I I don't even know. Are you back on funding, or is are you still out of it? It's it's uh it's a tricky one right now. I think it's in another transition. So uh, okay. In terms of in terms of what we had before Rio to now, like very limited. Before before that, like you kind of look back at it now and you you take it for granted what you had. You know, we were we were we were blessed to an. Uh, mm compared to a lot of other countries out there we we're, we're privileged with what we got um so it was definitely something i look back on and go could i have done more of it did i did i need that wake up call i've i i've always said i feel like for me like losing my funding and having to go out and do it myself was was the wake up call i probably needed to kind of believe in believe in myself and go right i'm going to do it i'm going to keep going i'm going to do it and I, i i need to prove that this has all been worth it and and it was probably the wake up call that i needed yeah for me for to me it's it's also proof of one of the things that i'm a, a firm believer in that that it it needs to come from inside of yourself but i think it's a common mistake also here in denmark that players when they reach the national training center they think okay now things are going to be taken care of just because i'm there and i'm training with the best i will be one of the best but it's it's not like that at all It, of course, it gives you a better foundation and, and better possibilities. But if you don't have that drive inside yourself, and if you don't find your own solutions that will work for you, it just—it's never going to happen. Uh, and it's not that that it's good to lose your funding, obviously not, because it takes away a lot of uh, opportunities. But I think not only from you, but from a lot of the English team, I think we actually saw this reaction that the ones that really wanted it, they actually started performing even better because you guys, you just didn't want to accept that decision right should be the decision that determined if you were going to be successful or not yeah i, I think it's you know I, and i don't i don't cast everyone under the same bracket but like you said when people go to the national center especially once they get used to the environment mm. there, there sometimes feels a level of entitlement like i deserve this i deserve that well you you deserve what you make to an extent yeah. you know and and you've got to stick with that and like you said you've got you said about making your own solutions you've got to find what's best for you and it can be tricky in the national center because you're all put under certain things that you all have to do but you need that something different you need that those certain building blocks that work for you um, and some need more than others some need more independence than others some need that national environment and a lot of that national center environment where a lot more is done for them others need that environment where It's a lot more individual, and they they can go off and take a lot more accountability. It's so yeah, that's that's what I learned. It's diff, it's very different for everyone. Mm. Do you not train in Milton Keynes now? Then are you still uh, based in Wimbledon in, in London? Yeah, I'm still based in Wimbledon. I I do a little bit in Milton Keynes, but but mostly in mostly in Wimbledon now. Since since May 2017, I yeah I spoke to my old coach Stuart who. I think he was a, he was at the national center for a little bit. Uh, I think he was you would remember him from the Thomas Cup in India in Delhi. He was out there. I spoke to him. Uh, Fontaine Chapman, who used to play, was the women's top women's singles back then, and a few younger players who were based at Wimbledon who wanted a better training environment. And we, I came together with Stuart and suggested, let's try and build something. Let's try and do something. And we just worked with him from that. 
and just tried to build the sort of culture he wanted. I tried to I tried to use all you know the thing the the good thing I had from the years I had at the national centre. I worked with a lot of different coaches, and I tried to take as much bits from different coaches I had and and build upon that, and then try and build a little bit of of what I wanted in my own training space, and then go from there. And you make mistakes along the way, and then you just try and you try and look at those times and go, right, what do we need to fix? What do we need to change? And then, so, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm kind of happy that happened because I feel like that goes on to different parts of life and team building and other, other things you have to focus on. Like it's as a singles player, it's individual, but you need, you need the right team and the right people around you. You need to feel great coming into training every day. You need the right training partners to an extent you want to like, for me, I want to play with a smile on my face. I want to enjoy the people's company I'm with. And, uh, to a large extent, we've made that environment here. So I'm, 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 and I've made, I've, I like to think I've helped make that environment for other players here. So that's, that's a nice feeling as well. Do, do you not miss the, uh, like, the level of uh, your sparring partners, I imagine that would be higher in Milton Keynes compared to what you are capable of having in, in Wimbledon. Because in Milton Keynes is the national center, right? So it has the best players in the country. So obviously training in a club, you will have, it can still be great players, no doubt, but they, they shouldn't be as good as the ones in the national center. Yeah. So do you, do you miss that that level of sparring or is it is it not really uh, worth it compared to all the other positive things you get from uh, from being on your own? You have times where it's frustrating, where sometimes you're being fed and you think, I need I need a little bit better than this. I need a little bit better than this. But like I said, you think about those other positives and you've you've got you're never gonna have it perfect. Some some things, you know, the most perfect I probably ever had it was the first year I went to the National Center. We had Kenneth Jonasson as coach, yeah. I had Raj, Kieran, uh Carl Baxter. Yeah. You know, and uh, the singles program in England has changed. There's a lot of people who have dropped out. We we don't have the depth of player right now. Uh, we have players at university. We only have one or two at the national centre. So I try and I don't want to limit myself to just training in Wimbledon. I still want to do some time in Milton Keynes. I want to try and uh, train with some of the guys who are at the universities and, and challenge myself to go to different environments where maybe I'm not the one who's in control and comfortable. And I'd love to do that where, and the plan was to go abroad. Um, so Denmark, uh, with the club system you have there to France and stuff. Yeah. And that was the plan. And then, and then literally, I think that was, that was kind of a month before COVID hit. Yeah. And then that's just kind of been totally derailed. Cause that, that was the plan was then I understood I needed that better quality of, of player to hit with at times. I needed that sparring. I, I wanted to challenge myself to go abroad into those training environments, but it's just been difficult in England with the COVID situation. Like our rules are a little bit different. We've been hit really hard compared to some other countries and, and uh, the possibilities aren't quite as easy as, as maybe they once were way back when. Yeah. So you have no ambition to like get back into Milton Keynes full-time. You, you don't really want that for yourself anymore. I, I personally right now don't see that for myself. Yeah. Uh, I never say never because you never know. Like the one thing I've definitely learned the last few years is you don't know what's around the corner. Like that you can be surprised by whatever happens in life. So I, I'd never say never, but I think it's quite clear to everyone that that we need to build something singles wise again. We're we're starting from quite low down right now to some of the other countries, Denmark, like France. I'm looking at France and I'm going, wow, they've got something building yeah. there, like quite impressive. Yeah, they're only um, moving in one direction, that's for sure, and that's up. Yeah, yeah. You see the pop-ups, and then you see this Lanier at 16, and you're like, okay, this is this is quite impressive. So you know, we we need to take stock, look at what what are they doing to develop. We need to we need to try and take some of that on board because right now we're we're a little bit behind, and I think I don't think I'm speaking out of turn saying you know this is a transition period, and we need to try and start from a bit younger and build up again. So it, since you're not part of the Milton Keynes uh, environment on like a, a full scale, what, what does your preparations for, for Tokyo actually look like? Like who are you training with? Who, who's coaching you? Who are you sparring with? And how, like how is your daily training routine? Is it is it a lot of multis or uh, yeah? How, how do you make it work? Uh, 
Yeah, so so obviously, I, like I said, I'm, I'm my coach Stuart here in Wimbledon, and then it's it's just a, it's just finding the mixture for me. Like I've been struggling with with a knee injury since basically last December with my tendon, uh, an issue that it's it's difficult to get rid of. Um, so the, the main thing has been trying to fix that before anything else. Like it's been, you know, I got to luckily play the All England, but I would say I was about 60% fit when I played the All England. I was just really, I really wanted to play the All England. Yeah. I was, you know, hadn't had the chance to yet. And I was, I was desperate to play. Um, and I played okay, considering that my body was a mess compared yeah. to where it needed to be. Um, so the, the, the big thing has been the gym a lot. I've had a lot of time in the gym trying to get myself to where I need to be. But yeah, for me, it's, it's finding that balance of the stuff on court. Like we have a few training partners who have come over from Hong Kong. We have a few, like I said, younger players here who are trying to learn and build. And like I said, the, the quality isn't maybe as good as I could get going to other countries, but for me, it's it's also about building an environment for other people. I know, like my my outlook has changed a little bit as I've got older. It's it's not just about me anymore. Like I want to try and help build something for other people as well. I want to inspire people and and the players around me who are here. Like, and I want them to be part of that journey, like I was for say Raj going to the Olympics. Yeah. Um, that was you know I I felt inspired to be part of that and help him prepare and get ready. And these guys are hungry to do that for me. And that's, you know, they're not being forced to do that. They want to do that. And sometimes, sometimes that means I get the best out of them, maybe than I would some better players who maybe don't know me as well, who want to give me that extra bit. So, but it's been a mixture of the single shuttle, 2v1, 1v1 exercises, uh, shadow and multi. I've, I've cut out a little bit on my cardio off court because, and, and focus more on the kind of physicality in the gym because I feel like that's an area I've never quite got on top of. And I, I feel right now a lot stronger in myself than I have been. I feel like, like at that, times... That's also, that's also an area that everybody can work on, right? You don't need special yeah. sparring partners. Like You just need yeah. a decent gym and you need someone, of course, that knows how to do a proper program, right? But yeah. you, you can do that anywhere. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is I've, I've, just, I've had a really tight group. I've had a really good conditioning coach physio and my coach at home working together really tight-knit great communication players wanting to help me and between that i feel like i'm getting back to a standard of play that i'm i'm happy with like i feel like i'm in a really good place i'm ready to play like and that that's the main thing and and also on top in terms of with the alopecia as well like how things have been going with that how i feel about it if you put those two things together like this is the most ready I've I've felt in terms of getting back on court for a, a long, long time. And it's been a long process, but that's, and that's the main thing for me because I know what it's like to now go on a badminton court and feel like you don't want to be there. And I, I don't want to go back to that place, you know? So, so I'm just happy to be going to an Olympics in the place I am now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that fully. And badminton is supposed to be fun, right? We, we start exactly. playing yeah. because we have fun doing it. And I think it should be that way all, all the way through. When, when you talk about this, uh, like you, it almost sounds like you feel uh, that it's it's part of your responsibility to build up a singles culture as well. Because uh, also looking in from the outside, England seems to be a little more or maybe a lot more doubles focused than it is singles focused. Do, do you feel some frustration about that or yeah, yeah, how do you see that? A little bit, but I, I also think that's that's been the way long before I was playing as well. Yeah. I don't think I don't think this has been a short term thing. I think this has been the way for a long time. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I I'd like to be part of changing that. I just I just want people players coming through to see singles as an option yeah. and feel like I think there's some players who have come through and feel like because they're not getting the quick results in the international series challenge tournaments that maybe the doubles players are getting and it's not coming straight away. There's, there's a frustration there and they don't feel like uh, this is worth it. And we need to, I need, we need to try and change that, that culture and mindset a little bit where, and, and also it's, you know, it's a, it's a, I think in general, I, I think it's just a much longer, like building that singles player, like, we, we haven't had many, like, I think apart from Raj, we haven't had many players who have come out for juniors and been like, they're going to be really, really good. 
So, so you know, you see those players and you're like, they're going to be really, really, there's something special. Yeah. We need, we, you know, we, we don't, we don't have that many sort of those sort of players coming through at singles anyway. So we need to find a way to get the best out of the players who are coming through and transitioning. And, uh, and that's just extremely difficult because that also means mm. they, they probably have to work longer to get that breakthrough. And that that's what we see so many countries in Europe that, people kind of give up when they're like 23, 24, 25 because the results are not there. But often it just takes longer, right? If you really want to make it in the to the top, especially in singles where the competition is is even harder. Yeah, it, it does take longer. And like for, for myself, I know I got to a lot of finals beforehand, but like I said, I didn't win. I don't think I won a final. I don't win a tournament at international level till I was 25. But look what happens when you do get that break or something changes, like it can happen. Like it only takes sometimes the world works in a bit of a funny way. It, it just takes a couple of little things to change. And, and before you know it, you're on that right slope. Um, but it, it's just that we, I think that longer process, that longer term plan in terms of working with players. And I don't know if it's our funding situation in terms of it's, you know, we're looked at every year and you've, you've got to make some of these results or that that's how it has been in the past. Um, you know, then maybe there needs to be more of a way that we sh we look at players for a four or five year period instead of a one year period, and we we need to help them develop more on the court, off the court, all the sort of different things that they need, and then see where we're at. And if not, and if those players aren't the ones who break it, can they help someone else who will go that extra step further? You know, so. Yeah, there's a, there's a few different factors I think you can look at, but but hopefully that is something that we can we can change in the future. Yeah, I think it's just really great to hear that you're kind of taking that responsibility on you as well to to pass it on and try to help develop that system. Because I think the worst thing that can happen for any country is that the the top players they stop too early, so the the next level of guys are not not ready yet. And uh, yeah, it's it's great for me to hear that you're you're eager on actually trying to help not just yourself, but the, the entire singles group of, uh, of England. We'll go to the questions. Uh, the first one is uh, from a guy that uh, we both know quite well. He's been the coach for both of us. It's Stein Sleichner Pedersen. Uh, he used to be a coach in uh, Team Skalskjør Slavse, which is uh, also my former club in, uh, in Denmark. Uh, and he's a, a good friend of this podcast because he's been on a few times. So when he asked a question, I had to uh, I had to accept it. And he's asking if you rate rate winning the Danish Badminton League with GSS as the second best experience in your career, or in fact the best ever. That will be extremely. Good. <laughs> it was uh, it was definitely one of the most enjoyable. Like we had, we had a great team that year, and like also I think the year we won, we had we had a lot of injuries. And a lot of like up and downs, and I think it was only there was only like a, a couple of games where we had our best team out. But I I really enjoyed the experience of playing in Denmark just because like the culture, like the level of players. Like it, I mean, I was playing I was playing mostly at second singles behind Mark and stuff, but just watching the quality of the other games and like especially at our club, like they always had the nice sofas out, so yeah. you could really like properly get into it. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was just, just a really good experience and like playing with a lot of other top guys. Like I hadn't played club badminton at that level before with that caliber of player. And it was just, it was just quite eye opening and quite just a really enjoyable experience. So I hope that's a good enough answer for Steve. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. And uh, <laughs> I remember uh, at least one experience that I'm sure you enjoyed. That's when you, uh, yeah. you were toying with me in the golden set in one of the matches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least I got my revenge in a, in a full match. Was that the, the second season? I think we played a full yeah. match in Stuttgart. So that was a close yeah. one, but I won it. So that's yeah, three sets. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I, yeah. I also must say the, the golden set one, I, I must thank Mark because I think you'd already played three sets with him. And that yeah, was quite true. a long match. And I, yeah, I definitely took advantage of that. So I'll, yeah, I'll well, take I, I, I also take that as an excuse. But to be honest, I don't, yeah. think, <laughs> I don't really think it had anything to do with that. I think it played a lot better than I did. Right. Anyway, let's uh, let's move smoothly on to the next one. It's from uh, uh, also a Danish guy and an Indonesian guy that are actually they're asking kind of the same. Uh, it's Thomas and Ethan. They want to know like what is you've been on it a little bit, but what is your take on the future of UK men singles? Do you think 
it will be stronger in the future or or is it on a downward slope at the moment still I think we're at a place where it's on a we're not sure quite where it's I'm not sure quite where it's going to go next but I think I think this next period you know they they we have some funding back and uh stuff like that is where that where that is put uh and how I think the big thing I think it's that 16 to 20 age that is the big thing for us I think when they when we have the really young players I feel like they compete pretty well with the other countries but something happens around that 15 16 mark that we find quite difficult to transition uh to the next stage so I think I think that's the real that's the real challenge we've got is is not just at Milton Keynes but in different centers around the country can we can we find a formula to make that work and uh get a consistency of player I, I don't think it's to strive to have one player who's uh who's unbelievable but to have a consistency of player who are playing at that sort of challenge top at end of series challenge level who can then hopefully push each other on to the next level I think that's that's where we want to be if we look at as, like like I talked about a country like France that's what you're seeing a lot um and that's that's where I think we've got to strive to be to be competitive in that European mar market, that scene, and then see if we can get players to move on from there. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to follow. And I think this guy, Johnny Tsujusen, I'm not sure if I pronounced mm. it right, but he's, yeah. he's actually looked quite good in the, in, after the uh, the restart of international badminton, right? And Harry Huang also uh, on the, the national team. So yeah, it's going to be exciting yeah. to, uh, to, to follow their progress and also your progress for sure. You, uh, to me, you're still young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're one of the, you're one of the guys who think that. I feel like the the way you know we've had a few players stop in England. I'm now like I think I'm like the third eldest behind Marcus and Lauren, which I find yeah. like crazy. I find crazy. It's like it, it is crazy. Right? Older than what I am. Honestly, when I was researching for this episode and I saw that you were 28, I, I was like in shock. But then I thought, yeah, well, I'm I'm 35, so it, it shouldn't really surprise me. I remember you played the World Championships uh, 10 years ago in London, so yeah, it, should, yeah. it shouldn't really surprise me that much. But I, I was actually pretty shocked. <laughs> right. Anyway, the uh, final question, Toby, and then I will uh, let you go, uh, is from uh, the guy who asked the most questions. I, I'm not sure if he's just a huge fan of what he's called a Team JG2000. 2004 on Instagram. I don't know if you know him. No, but he asked no, maybe no. 20 or 25 questions. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I picked this one because I think you have you will have a rather unusual answer. At least I hope so. He's simply asking, what is your favorite sport? And I follow you on Twitter. So I often see you tweeting about a certain sport. So I don't know if that's your favorite one, but I'll, I'll let you answer. What is your other favorite sport apart from that? I have, I have two, like, but the one you're probably thinking about is boxing. For sure. Yeah, boxing. I, well, I have a season ticket at Fulham for the football, so that that always takes priority to an extent. Like when I'm at home to go and, to go and watch them play. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where the boxing thing came from. Like it started like six or seven years ago. I started just watching these clickbait videos on YouTube of like boxers being interviewed, fights and stuff. Yeah. And then Kira Merrily, who I was training with the time, he got really into it. And then a couple of the other lads, Harley Towler and a few others got into it. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, the thing about the sport is it's, it's got a bit of everything. And like the fact of like, they're going in there and like, you seeing people die in the ring and stuff. And it is, it's gladiatorial. Like you, you've got to go in there with a crazy mindset. You have to have the right work ethic. Yeah. Technique and footwork is just as important as all those other attributes, and and just the sort of narratives it, it it comes up with, I just think is it's a sport like no other. Like it's it brings out, and that's that's the thing I'm gutted about in terms of Tokyo. In terms of like the, the situation is, I'd I'd love to go and be able to watch the boxing, the amateur stuff, because those guys are the, the stuff. You know, those guys are the stars of the future in terms of the professionals as well. Like remember Anthony Joshua from from London 2012, and now he's like an absolute megastar over here but these guys start in this amateur you know funded system and and they're just the same as a lot of us other sports until they turn pro so you know these are the guys of the future so yeah but i i i've, I've been to a few of the big fights i've been to cardiff stadium to watch uh joshua v parker and uh i'd love to go out to vegas and watch one of the big fights like that's that's one that's one thing i really want to do Who, who's your favorite boxer 
Golovkin. Kazakhstan. Yeah, Gennady Golovkin. Me and me and Kieran were obsessed with him for a while because he's <laughs> he was just he was just so good. He had this unique personality, like Kazakh kind of could, kind of broken English, but really like lovable yeah. at the same time. But he was an absolute killer in the ring. Like I think it was eighteen or nineteen straight knockouts in in title defenses, and it was yeah. Like he was amazing. We absolutely loved him, but yeah, I think, I think it's few, amazing. Like, like, yeah, just talking to you now, I can just feel your passion, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's it's a bit of surreal for me because I also know you as a really nice guy and uh, quite soft spoken and all. I, I I wouldn't say that you are like the typical uh, boxer or boxing fan, but I think it's just amazing, uh, amazing to to hear your passion uh, for it. But I I mean, in general, just sports like I. I I love my tennis as well. Like I probably, to an extent, I watch more tennis than I do badminton. Like yeah. I just, I just, just the concepts, I get, I, the stories you hear, yeah. the people. Like, I guess it's the, also the easier, right, to, to watch tennis in UK than it is to watch badminton. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. If you have an Amazon Prime subscription or something like that, it's uh, literally on all the time on the ATP yeah. and WTA and stuff. But just, just the. Uh, you kind of dream of that's what hopefully badminton could become. Mm. You know, yeah, I know yeah, I, yeah, I've, I've heard you speak to a few people. I think I remember you speaking to Steen and him talking about sort of players being in the, but enough money that players could decide their own path a little bit more and mm. enough money in the sport and yeah. these sort of crowds and unlimited tournaments where you had the choice of which tournament you wanted to go to. Because yeah. you look at that and you, you've been, I, I, you'd love a bit of that every week. Yeah, I just the other day I saw a photo from uh, one of the girls that are playing Wimbledon right now, where she was in like a like a I think it's called it like a cryo chamber uh, yeah. at the Wimbledon. So that that's available for them at the arena. And I'm thinking yeah. like when we play Indonesia Open or China Open or Denmark Open, you can get a shower and that's it. And yeah. Like even some yeah, of the exactly. places you, you don't want to shower, right? At the, at the <laughs> so we, we, yeah. We're pretty far away from uh, from the same level. I know I said that was the final question, but now that you say you're a big tennis fan, I need to f- ask you a final one that decides if we can leave this interview as friends. Are you team Federer, team Djokovic, or team Nadal? Uh, I am team Djokovic. No, you cannot. Yeah, 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 no, I am team Djokovic. I, honestly, the guy is just... I, I, know, I know there's a lot of people who aren't a big fan of his, but like his tennis ability and like how he's kind of stepped in with those other guys and, and kind of stepped above to an extent now. I know that they're getting on a little bit, the other guys, but I mean, I know if you watch that semi-final, he played with Nadal and I was just, I'm like, you're just watching it kind of like mouth open the whole time. Like yeah. he just, the level just doesn't drop and it's no. just, it's just unbelievable. But again, like in terms of all three of them, in terms of what they brought to that sport and like, of course, being a Brit, like I've got, I know he's not part of that that free as much, yeah. but Murray, like what Murray's brought as well, and the sort of the love that people now have for him over here can, compared to when he maybe started. Like, yeah. it's it's, and now some of the guys we have coming through in England and Scotland in Britain, sorry, coming through now because of him. Like, it's it's big, it's big. So it's uh, but yeah, it it would be Djokovic. I'm, I know you're a Fed guy, I think. Anyway, yeah, but, I am. Uh, I am. I am 100. But yeah. actually, to be honest, the worst thing you could have said was Team uh, Nadal, because because to yeah. me, he he's a real rival of uh, of Federer. And I've actually True. always I, I always liked Djokovic, uh, but when he started getting closer to beating all Federer's <laughs> then I started disliking him more and more. But it's not that I dislike him. Actually, I think he's a really fun dude. Also in interviews and stuff mm. like that. As you say, his his tennis ability is just uh, out of this world. So I admire all of them. So we can still be friends, Toby. But the, but the thing is, with Djokovic, is there's no doubt without Federer and Nadal, he he wouldn't be playing at the level he is now. Like they they've it's unbelievable to think the bar they set and that he's kind of almost pushing past it. It's just it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, we both wish uh, Federer the best for the Wimbledon. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, Toby. Thanks so much for uh, taking uh, an hour out of your uh, your preparations for Tokyo. I uh, I wish you all the best there. I will uh, keep an eye you. on you from the uh, commentator seats. I'm going. We'll see. To the draws on Thursday, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So, so maybe if I, if I pick up one of the Danish guys, maybe maybe I'll I, I've 
expecting now I've done your podcast and positive words a few more than <laughs> I, I promise yeah. I promise but I think actually they're so hungry for badminton here during the Olympics so there's a good chance one of your matches will be on no matter who you who you draw like last time in Rio I was also a commentator and we did 72 matches live in 10 days so it, it's going to be mad <laughs> yeah right good luck Toby and thanks so much again for, uh, for thank you very much thank you for having me Thank you for listening to A Year on Tour with Vittinghus. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, share and leave a comment in iTunes or your preferred podcast app.